Greetings, 12s. I'm Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, along with Rob Rang. The Seahawks endured a pretty tough Week 14, dropping their first road game of the year in a 28-14 defeat to the Rams, one of their worst performances in quite some time. We'll discuss in a moment. It was more costly than just the standings. Tons on tap for today's show, including offensive takeaways and mailbag questions, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Seattle returned to second place in the NFC West with their loss in Los Angeles on Sunday, and it was costly beyond wins and losses. Running back Rashad Penny suffering a torn left ACL on the opening possession of the game. It almost felt like that really took the air out of the Seahawks offense. No, I think I think you're absolutely right, Corbin. I think it did. Uh, you know, the Seattle's offense w- was humming. Uh, that, that first drive, you know, they marched right down the field, obviously got the field goal. I mean, it's, uh, you know, but but when the, the penny injury occurred, you could just, to me, uh, you know, watching on television, uh, you know, it looked like it just sucked the life out of the, out of the Seahawks. Uh, and then what a, what a horrific injury for this young man. I mean, obviously, he was just kind of coming into his own. He's playing so well. He's, he's playing exactly like what you and I, uh, you know, it, 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 it thought that he would play based on what he had done at San Diego State in an offense similar to Seattle's. I mean, I thought that he was going to excel here, and I still believe that he will. Uh, but that's obviously not going to happen this season. And so a, a big loss for the Seahawks. Very curious to see uh, what C.J. Procise, what Travis Homer can can bring. And I'm, I'm sure that John Schneider is going to be looking in that waiver wire and seeing who else is available. Admittedly, I hoped for a hyperextended knee based on what the tackle looked like. All the views that I had from the press box and obviously watching the replay uh, from the TV version, it looked like that might have been what was going on there. But the way he clutched the knee when he went to the ground, that indicated to me immediately, this is more than a hyperextended knee. That would be painful, but not the same level as tearing an ACL. And then the players after the game, teammates, the ominous comments they were making, Russell Wilson and Chris Carson, that pretty much had the writing on the wall. The way that they were talking, it was very evident that this was going to be a season-ending injury. Pete Carroll just called it an ACL sprain, but turns out it is a torn ACL. Injuries happen. But like you said, ones of this variety are the worst. This kid really was finding his way. It it feels like he started to finally figure out what it takes to make it in this league. He'd lost weight. He he was much better prepared going into this season. And then not getting a ton of snaps early in the year. Finally getting some chances here recently. Over 200 rushing yards the last two games. Three touchdowns. Now, unfortunately, he's going to face a long, arduous rehab from reconstructive knee surgery. And with this injury happening in December, I'd be surprised if he's ready to go for the start of training camp, in all honesty. Yeah, that, that's more the, the, the typical time schedule, uh, you know, for a guy recovering from ACL surgery is going to be pushing into training camp. Um, you know, and, and so that's, uh, you know, we see so many players come back successfully from ACLs now, um, you know, so that, that's one of the things that is, that is certainly encouraging. And then from strictly a Seahawk perspective, uh, you know, just being as cold as you can be towards the player. But again, from a Seahawks perspective, this is a, a very talented running back class. Uh, that's coming up from the draft wise, uh, the, from the draft perspective, um, and I am excited about what CJ Prostice and Travis Homer uh, are, are going to bring to the team. But R- Rashad Penny is a special talent. That there's only there, there's a back or two, maybe three, uh, in a given year that you feel like, or at least that I feel like, 
deserve first round consideration. And I I stamped that grade on Rashad Penny. Uh, I did it on, on on Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle and a couple other backs that year as well. But uh, but but still, to me, he was a special player. And so I'm, I'm just I I believe in the kid. I believe in the the, the medical science now. Uh, but at the same time, what it is a crushing loss. There's no doubt about it. The losing to the Rams was was, was big, but losing Rashad Penny, considering how well he is playing, how much we all know that Chris Carson is, uh, you know, is being used so much by Seattle. Uh, that that established number two runner um, is a huge concern for the Seahawks moving forward. While Penny's injury obviously much more severe than anything else that happened last night, the Seahawks have another injury that I think is a little bit concerning just because he's getting an MRI, and that's rookie linebacker Cody Barton. Got a ton of snaps playing for Michael Kendricks, who was inactive, made some tackles. Finished the game yesterday. After he went to the medical tent, he came back out on the field, but he was battling knee and ankle issues at the end of that game. And like I said, now he's getting an MRI, and with Michael Kendricks still up in the air when he's going to be coming back, Pete Carroll says probably not even going to know till the end of the week if he's going to be available for the Carolina game. And K.J. Wright dislocated a finger last night. He's going to be okay. But, I mean, they, they're just getting really banged up. And I guess that's normal for the month of December. But it just seems like it's really hit them hard in this last game against the Rams. Yeah, I think that you know, whenever there's a loss, then you're, the, the injuries are going to feel that much uh, more – disruptive and uh you know and disheartening um you know w- with barton the reason i'm encouraged is the fact that cody barton went back out there and played now this is a tough kid um but at the same time he did go back out there and play and so i i do feel uh at least optimistic that, that this is going to wind up not being anything too major um and as you mentioned with kj Wright and dislocated a finger i mean Again, we're, we're talking about the epitome of toughness is KJ Wright, and, and so he certainly is going to be okay from that. Um, you know, so it, it, it is disconcerting, um, but at the same time, that is one of the things I've always been the most encouraged about with Seahawks um, and, and the way that this roster is built is they have not only do they, in my opinion, have good depth, they've proven it. It's not just my opinion. I mean, when when Justin Britt went down, then a lot of us thought that that perhaps that would be the end of it. And instead, the Seahawks caught fire. So to me, that's just one example. But again, I I think that there's plenty of reasons for optimism with this team, even with the the very concerning injuries they're coming out of this loss to the Rams. Assuming that Barton doesn't have a severe injury and it's not something that's going to need surgery, which from what I'm hearing, that's probably not the case anyway. They're just doing the MRI just to be in the clear, make sure everything's okay. But you're still going to have Penny and Nico Thorpe heading to injured reserve. That pushes the Seahawks now to 15 players this year that have been on injured reserve. And that includes Ethan Posick, who will be eligible to come back this week. So he'll be able to fill one of those roster spots. But certainly, it's been a, it's been a tough year for the Seahawks with injuries. They've had quite a few of them. You've got Jadevian Clowney out there playing right now with his sports hernia-related issue and battling through that. Ziggy Anza didn't play because of a neck injury. So every team's banged up. The 49ers have a bunch of injuries, too, coming out of their win over the Saints yesterday. It was a costly victory for them. So every team this time of year is getting banged up. Got Everybody's got bumps and bruises. You've got severe injuries. The injured reserve list continue to get longer. But it certainly seems like the Seahawks have had a little less luck in that category this year. If you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Rap to show us your top line. Locked On Podcast for the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and the Host or Show Twitter account on Twitter, and we will share and retweet 
coming up after the break. It's our Monday mailbag segment. Tons of questions. We're going to try to answer as many as we can. We'll be right back on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we move forward, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go and you could increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try for free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome back to Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, along with Rob Rang. Later in the third quarter, we'll be discussing some observations from an offensive, offensive performance by the Seahawks last night. But before we get to that point, you've got questions for our Monday mailbag. Rob and I will do our best to answer as many as possible. So let's rock and roll. First question coming from Jax Boyd. With the rumors of Odell Beckham Jr. wanting out of Cleveland, do you think there is a trade that Seattle would be willing to explore in acquiring OBJ next year? Well, I think with John Schneider, there's always a chance that he's going to be willing to explore. I mean, uh, you know, and then certainly the, the relationship that he has with Cleveland general manager John Dorsey, these are two guys that, uh, you know, spent a lot of time in, in Green Bay together. Uh, they're friends. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I think there's always that possibility. I mean, let's face it, Odell Beckham is a, is, is a fantastic talent. Um, but at the same time, this, this isn't the type of player that uh, I, I think that typically Seattle would consider given the – you know, it certainly appears to be selfish behavior uh, that we've seen from from him. Um, and at, at the same time, I, I would think that ultimately this is one of the bigger points is – I don't think that the wide receiver core is as much of a problem for the Seahawks as maybe some are suggesting. But, I mean, what, what do you think about that, Corbin? I completely agree with you. I'm getting kind of tired of constantly getting asked about signing Antonio Brown. I mean, I would absolutely stay away from him. But uh, this is a receiver group that I think is pretty darn solid. Tyler Lockett looked better last night. DK Metcalf had a really nice game. David Moore's been kind of hit and miss this year with his opportunities. He had a couple big plays against the Vikings, but has kind of been hit and miss, but still a guy just in his third season. So still a very solid young player to have on your depth chart. I think Josh Gordon's done some good things. He just hasn't been targeted very much. He's been very effective when they've gotten the football to him. Russell Wilson's just not looking for him, but you could re-sign him potentially next year for a pretty affordable price uh, coming back as a free agent. So I don't think the Seahawks will be likely to make a move here. I would say maybe 10% just because John Schneider does uh, always approach these trades. He's always looking to improve the roster. And 
Odell Beckham Jr., as much as there's been headlines out there in Cleveland, I don't think that he's been the biggest issue there. They've got other problems there. Their head coach wearing the Pittsburgh uh, started it t-shirt a few weeks ago. The head coach does not do that after what went down with Miles Garrett a few weeks ago. That was inexcusable. Baker Mayfield shown some maturity issues this year. They've had some other things they've been dealing with in the locker room and with the media. So he's had his own little storms that he's helped create, as he always has in the NFL. But I don't think he's the same type of distraction as an Antonio Brown or another player similar, a very egotistical receiver. Uh, But I still think it would be a risky guy to bring in, and you'd have to give up a lot to get him. I think Cleveland would want a first-round pick back. So I agree with you. The Seahawks already have enough guys at receiver right now. I don't think you can justify paying that price for Odell Beckham Jr. Second question, Brendan tweets, are there any free agent running backs you could see Seattle bring on as insurance? I don't trust C.J. Procise to stay healthy. Well, I don't know that the Seahawks trust C.J. Procise to stay healthy either. That's why I I really wonder about Travis Homer. Um, And I've been very encouraged by what I've seen from him. Uh, C.J. Procise is a fantastic talent, though. Um, you know, we've seen so so many flashes. I mean, he's going to get his opportunity, and I think that uh, this is a Carolina defense that 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 has some rough stuffers, um, but at the same time, no one that has this type of speed. And so, I think CJ Procise ha- is going to have an opportunity in this next game to really show what he can do. To, to get to the question, though, I, I don't know that a lot of the more recognizable names that you're going to see out there. Um, the Doug Martins of the world, for example, are, would necessarily appeal to the Seahawks. I mean, it's always been one of Schneider's uh, focuses to stay young. So I, I would think maybe one of the, the the recent guys that have been in Seattle's camp, like a, like a Rod Martin or Xavier Turner, would make the most sense. Xavier Turner actually looked pretty solid during training camp, and I think you were actually mentioning Rod Smith there oh, uh, instead of Rod Martin. <laughs> Rod Smith, <laughs> former Indiana uh, prospect, played at Ohio State, but he was from Indiana. Actually. I had a chance to play against him in high school, so there is a little bit of bias maybe there. He played with the Seahawks briefly. I think he actually got a few carries in a game for them at one point, but he would make sense. He's out there available. You could bring him in, and he could pick the system up pretty quickly. You could have another running back on the roster there. I'm going to throw a wild card out here. It's never going to happen, but I'm thinking about a few years back when Seattle signed Christian Michael for the second time. And they brought him back, and he actually gave them a few good games at the end of the season, and it was after Thomas Rawls got hurt. Well, here we are in 2019, and Thomas Rawls is a free agent. And I was just thinking about this. Obviously, he's not the same style runner as what Rashad Penny is. He's that between-the-tackles physical runner. He's just kind of like Chris Carson, but... The Seahawks love that kind of guy. I know there were some things going on there. We never really got an explanation what happened at the end of all this when the Seahawks let him go. But I would be intrigued to put him back in that backfield as a guy that could come in for spot carries behind Chris Carson. And I know he's had some durability concerns in his career too, but he's been he's shown flashes for a much longer periods of time than what C.J. Procise has. And if they're not confident in Travis Homer at this point, then why not consider bringing him back? Again, it's not going to happen, but that was a name I saw on the list that kind of jumped out to me. I was like, wouldn't it be intriguing the last few games to bring him back in? But let's get away from fantasy land here. Smoke and Sunny D tweets, why can't we use Quandre Diggs as a cornerback? He gets run over too much in the backfield as a safety. We've been getting a lot of questions about this, uh, Robin. I, I don't really get it, to be honest with you. 
Well, I think that when you come in as hot and heavy as as Quandre Diggs does, I mean, he's he is a heat seeking missile, man. I mean, my goodness. I mean, it, we're, we're seeing it in the interceptions. We're seeing it with some of the tackles. Uh, you know, sometimes when the guys are getting stood up and the tackles already essentially been made, if there is somebody who comes in there hot and heavy looking to knock a ball free, then that's Quandre Diggs. Uh, so that is exactly the type of mentality you typically want the safety position. Uh, he, he has shown enough quickness that, that perhaps, and obviously has the experience in his, in his background, um, of, of playing that, that nickel corner spot. But to me, I, I think that Quandra Diggs has been one of the real bright spots for the last several, last several games. Uh, you know, I mean, even in the Rams game, obviously where just about everything went wrong. Quandra Diggs to me was, it was a shining star. Uh, so I had I wouldn't I wouldn't advise doing anything changing anything when it comes to Quandre Diggs at this point. I yeah you know we discussed it when they first made the trade because you know Marquise Blair was playing fairly well at safety weren't sure where they were going to fit Diggs in but then they put him in at free safety and he has clearly been the best free safety that they've had in this first year without Earl Thomas now in Baltimore it's been a huge upgrade over everybody else that played back there he's got three interceptions in his first four games with the Seahawks at first safety to do that since Earl Thomas had three interceptions in his first four games with the Seahawks so uh, he has played fantastic football and he has missed a few tackles I think in large part because he is a heat-seeking missile, and occasionally his pursuit angle isn't where it needs to be, but when he connects, he will rock you. Just ask Irv Smith Jr., the rookie tight end for the Vikings, that got absolutely planted by him uh, last Monday night. So I don't see any reason to move him to corner at this point. If they wanted to get Marquise Blair in the lineup and they wanted to have a sub package where he dropped down as a nickel, a big nickel corner, I could see them maybe doing that. But as well as he's playing in that center field free safety position right now, I'm not making any changes. There's other positions you can look at, but he has solidified a free safety position that might have been the biggest weakness on that defense before he was traded for. Mitch tweets, how much do you think playing with one less day to prepare impacted Seattle's performance on Sunday? Um, you know, I, I think that that, that that has some significance. But at the same time, I think the reason why the Seahawks lost is because they came out flatter than three-day-old Sprite. I mean, they, they just didn't look like they were ready to play. Uh, you know, and, and the Rams looked like they were they were quicker. They were they were hitting harder, uh, running faster. Uh, and, and I thought that they had the, the more innovative play designs of both the offensive and defensive side of the, of the ball. I don't really think that having one less day to prepare – you can't use that as an excuse. And the Thursday night games are extremely difficult because they only have three days to turn around. But they still had six days between games. So players typically tell me when I've asked them about this, they're saying usually by Thursday I'm starting to feel normal. Well, they got plenty of time to get to their Thursday. Uh, the only thing that might have made this, you know, made them come out flat in this game is that they had mostly walkthroughs this week because of that tighter window. I think they were trying to keep their players fresh, and I gotta wonder if maybe that actually had some negative effects. I, I can't sit here and say that absolutely did, but that's something that did cross my mind talking to a couple players yesterday. Then they all echoed the same statement I'm making. You can't use that as an excuse at all. Obviously, it's a little tough when you have to start preparation right on Tuesday instead of Monday like they normally do and get a little more time to relax and rest up. But it's definitely not a reason for an excuse. You still get plenty of time to prepare. I do wonder if the walkthroughs, the way they handled during the week with their team being banged up, I understand the rationale behind it. 
Got to wonder if not having two regular practices, and he really only had one this week, wonder if that had anything to do with them coming out and, and not having the same urgency and same energy we've seen from them the last several weeks. Last question from Clay tweets, why doesn't Seattle use more motion on offense than they do? It's such a weapon if used right. Just look at the Rams. Well, I, I think the Rams have some pretty dynamic weapons, and their their offense is, is predicated on on motion, on uh, you know, on on the the quarterback making quick throws. Um, you know, it's I, I still believe that that is something that Seattle could take more advantage of because I think that they have some pretty dynamic athletes in, in Tyler Lockett, David Moore in particular. Those two in motion, I think, is, are very intriguing. Uh, you know, and. And I, I think that you have the Twin Towers out there with, with Josh Gordon and DK Metcalf, and then you potentially could do something. That said, uh, you know, my strength has always been evaluating prospects. I can tell you know, – evaluating players. I can tell you why a player is good or bad. I'm not the play caller. Uh, I, I think that, that, that Brian Schottenheimer has done a, a pretty spectacular job most of the year this year, and, uh, and he's got some challenges now without Rashad Penny. But at the same time, uh, I, I feel confident in, in the way the Seattle's offense is rolling at this point. I've talked about this a few times on the show earlier episodes. If there's an area that I could nitpick – most with Brian Schottenheimer's offensive scheme and his play calling, it's right here. It's the motion stuff. And it's like anything else in football. You don't just run motion just to run motion. There needs to be a purpose to it. And that's another thing I'm going to argue here. I feel like a lot of the time when they have motion that it just looks like they're just doing it to have somebody move. And the Rams don't do it that way. There is always a reason behind the motion. It's They use that eye candy so well. And you could hear Bobby Wagner talk about it last night. You know, they were coming up to the line. They were changing up tempos. The Seahawks were not quite lined up where they needed to be defensively. And if you do that against Sean McVay's offense with the fact that he's usually got somebody moving in motion across the formation, there's usually a fake to that guy. Then you have the fake or a handoff to the running back. Or Goff can keep it and it's a play-action pass, and then they just run the living hell out of those crossers and slants and all that stuff. Uh, you know, they—it's not the most complicated offensive scheme that I've ever seen. But when Sean McVay is rolling, he is so good at playing all those different plays off of each other and giving defenses so many different things that they have to key on and. I just feel like Brian Schottenheimer, if there's an area that he's really struggled with as the Seahawks offensive coordinator, it's been that, giving multiple keys that defenses have to worry about, and you've got good athletes there to take advantage. So again, you don't just motion guys to motion them, but there's got to be a purpose to it, and I'd like to see the Seahawks mix more of that in with the personnel that they've got. I think it would really help Russell Wilson. I think it would, actually, I really think it would help with his pass protection stuff too. Look at Jared Goff yesterday. How many times the Seahawks weren't able to get pass pressure on him because he ran play action and they were worried about the guy on the jet sweep. They were worried about the handoff to Gurley. There were so many different keys they had to worry about. Receivers are getting good separation. Goff is able to sit there comfortably in the pocket. I think the Seahawks could benefit from a little bit more of that. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amount of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked on NFL and using locked NFL at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from locked on sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. 
When we return, it won't be the most positive session ever, but we're going to talk about the Seahawks' offense, or lack thereof, in last night's loss to the Rams. We'll be right back on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. The Seahawks dropping to 10-3 and on the season. Still a very respectable record, but they are now back in second place in the NFC West after dropping a 28-12 decision to the Rams throughout the entire four quarters, Rob. This was just an absolute struggle for the Seahawks on offense. I love that you mentioned the beginning of the show, before Penny got hurt, that might have been the best drive the Seahawks had in this game. It was the only one they got any offensive points from, but it just seemed like that took the sail out of the offense and really had a hard time moving the football most of the rest of the game. Couldn't capitalize on turnovers the Seahawks defense made in the second half, and overall just a really unsuccessful day at the office for Brian Schottenheimer's offense. No, it, it really was. I mean, if you look at the statistics, I mean, it looks like Seattle should have done very well. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they actually were averaging five yards a rush. Uh, they they won the turnover battle, of course, two to one. Uh, but at the same time, as you mentioned, Corb, as you just mentioned, Corbin, they, they their inability to capitalize on on their opportunities. I mean, they had, you know, of course, they didn't have a, a single offensive touchdown, um, you know, throughout this entire game. I mean, this is a going up against a defense that that is definitely gifted, but has given up huge plays uh, on most occasions throughout this season. So, uh, to me, we can we can, you know, there's gonna be a lot of conversations about the defense and uh, the, the fact that they were. Sent were called out on television for not being prepared and things like that. I mean, give give the Rams a lot of credit. I mean, this is a really talented team that was on the offensive side of the ball, was playing all cylinders, and they certainly were not that uh, when Seattle was fortunate, frankly, to, to beat the, the same Rams team, um, you know, back in Seattle. Uh, but at the same time, on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, there's there's no way to, to, to slice this. I mean, the Seahawks struggled, and, and the Rams deserve some credit, but this is more about the Seahawks than it was the Rams, in my opinion. The first big thing that jumped out to me, dropped passes and penalties were killer yep. in this game. And it's so weird saying the penalties aspect, because Seattle didn't get any offensive penalties called on them on Monday night against the Vikings. They had eight of them in this game, and not all those penalties were on offense, but they had eight penalties total. And the drop passes were critical in the first half. They had a fourth down conversion they were going for. Fourth and one, Russell Wilson rolls out, throws a perfect pass to Malik Turner, passed the marker, and it just clanks off his hands for an incomplete pass and a turnover on downs. So that turns the ball right back to the Rams. Next drive, Jacob Hollister drops one on third down that would have moved the chains. So they just weren't catching the ball. Russell Wilson was under duress almost the entire game. Tons of drives pushed back by penalty. It just felt like they were playing behind the sticks pretty much the entire game. And this is one of the worst teams in the NFL to be in that situation consistently because you've got Aaron Donald, Dante Fowler, and company coming after you. And that's what they did. They had five sacks, 11 quarterback hits against Russell Wilson. So they took advantage of the fact the Seahawks consistently had second and third and long opportunities and they had to throw the football. It made life much easier for that front line. No, it really did. I mean, I've used this this uh, mixing sports analogies before, but uh, you know, when when you make a an offense, especially one like Seattle that that prides itself on on, on being able to do two different things, um, then then you're essentially 
uh, doing the same thing with a pitcher in baseball. Um, if you know it's dead red fastball, then the major league level, then, then they can hit a fastball. It doesn't matter if you're going to throw 88 or 98 or 108. Their major league baseball here is going to be able to eventually time that. Well, when the Seahawks behind the eight ball as much as they were in this football game or behind the chains, as you more accurately said, Corbin, then then you know essentially it just allowed the Rams to pin their ears back and, and rush the quarterback. And, and Seattle is just not equipped to do that. I mean, when you have these big offensive linemen that are in the the 6'5", 330-pound range, they're going to struggle in terms of quickness against guys who are 6'2", 285 pounds. Um, And so it's not rocket science. I mean, the the Seahawks need to be able to run the football right down a team like the Rams' throat. And when they were unable to do that, when they were so far behind as they were in the first half, uh, then essentially the second half was was a waste of everybody else's time because unless they were able to maximize their opportunities, which of course they did not then uh then that made this game essentially a moot point something that really jumped out to me and you mentioned this a little bit ago the Seahawks did average five yards of carries they they were running the ball effectively but when they fell behind 21 to 3 they were in a position where they couldn't run the ball like they wanted to it really had it really changed their offensive strategy trying to come back and like you said they're not really built to do that with especially with that offensive line going against a talented front like the Los Angeles Rams have there, led by Aaron Donald. So that was certainly an issue. A few other stats to throw out there. The Seahawks were 0 for 2 in the red zone. The Rams were 4 for 5. You can't do that against a quality football team on the road. You're not going to win those games. I don't care if you won the turnover battle slightly. It doesn't matter. When you get beat in the red zone like that, that's a lot of points that the Rams were able to score in there, and the Seahawks didn't get any in their two opportunities that they were in the red zone. They also were 5 for 14 on third down. Going back to what I mentioned a moment ago, a lot of that had to do with the length of those third downs. Way too many times where they had third and 10, third and 12, third and 15. You just can't do that against a football team that's got as much talent rushing the passer as what the Rams bring to the table. They just couldn't sustain drives. And that's how you end up with your first game without an offensive touchdown in 43 games. That streak was snapped. Russell Wilson's 16-game touchdown streak also gets snapped. So this was really a, a night where a lot of streaks were snapped and not necessarily for good reasons. The Seahawks just could not move the football consistently. It didn't matter that they won the turnover battle. It didn't matter the fact that the time of possession battle was pretty close. They just didn't execute. They didn't execute. Now, I think that's you know it's it's funny, Corbin. I was, I was kind of driving back and forth today. Uh, I was listening to a little bit of sports radio, and there were so many people out there like, "Oh, who's most to blame?" Um, and, and to me, that that's always kind of a funny question because obviously the chip falls with the with the head coach, with the quarterback, and then that that dominated the conversation. Shocker. To me, it, it's human nature. Uh, I think the Seahawks entered that game knowing full well that if they were able to win, then they would potentially have, they, they would have they would be the number one seed in the NFC. And I think that that kind of just that that kind of egotistical kind of you know, I, I to me that that's the way they played. They they played like they felt like the Rams were going to lay down for them, and uh, you know, and that to me was one of the interesting things about this game, and why, frankly, I, I feel confident that they, this team can flush this one away uh, quicker than a lot of teams could, because they just. It, 
think about every game that they've played. I mean, that, that's been one of the, the real concerns that a lot of people have had, a lot of the critics have had about the Seahawks, is that they play down to competition play down to competition to me that's exactly what they they thought they could get away with in this game they were unable to do so to me it's a nice wake-up call because the carolina panthers are going to hit you in the mouth too uh you know there's a lot of people out there that are, are fighting for their jobs at this point and coaching and as well as players so they definitely have the attention and, and the rams played like that was their super bowl which i think in a lot of ways it was uh for a team that obviously went to the super bowl a year ago but has struggled so far this year and needed a big splash of performance so to me there, there's a lot of things about the way the seahawks play that was disappointing but lots of other reasons why i'm very optimistic about moving forward as well They've been so good at bouncing back from losses throughout the Pete Carroll era. I think that's probably the biggest factor for being optimistic. But certainly there were some things, especially on the offensive side of the football last night, that were discouraging to the point that it would make you question, are they going to be able to get things going? Especially because this offense has not been great the last month. They have not played. Russell Wilson has not played as well the last four or five games as he did the first half of the season. The numbers would bear that out. The film would bear that out. He just hasn't looked like quite the same quarterback. Still at 245 passing yards last night, but some missed opportunities. He didn't get help. His receivers, as I mentioned, dropping passes. The front line struggling. I did feel like you started to get in the second half that Wilson started to exit the pocket a little bit too quickly much of the time. It felt like he was not hanging in there quite long enough when a receiver may have gotten open and and he was trying to bolt his way outside. And the Rams, to their credit, did a really good job of pursuing him when he bailed the pocket. And they were able to really do a nice job getting hits on him. So extending plays just didn't happen in this game. They played him extremely well. Positive-wise, there were a few positives that jumped out. It's really hard to find them offensively, but I think DK Metcalf had a really nice bounce-back game. He's been under fire for his fumble issues. He's dropped some passes in recent weeks, but no drops in this game. He caught all six targets that were thrown his way, 76 yards. The only explosive downfield pass play they had near the end of the game. Russell Wilson hits him for a 30-plus yard bomb down the left sideline, gets both feet in. So I thought Metcalf had a good game. Tyler Lockett, four catches for 43 yards. Nothing spectacular by his standards, but it was a nice step up from what we've seen the previous two weeks. So they did get some contributions from their receivers. Unfortunately, Russell Wilson was just under duress too quickly much of the time to be able to find guys downfield, so they couldn't get any of that vertical passing game going. No, they really could not. And I think that's, again, when you have an offense like the Seahawks have that's going to be predicated on running the football and then taking those deep shots, uh, if you're unable to hit on any of those deep shots, if you're unable to run the ball in the second half because you're you're, you're behind by so much, then um, then, then that's why, why Seattle's offense uh, threw up a clunker. Uh, and because they, they essentially were taken out of their game. Um, and so to me, that's, again, why I thought this once the Seattle was down as much as they were at halftime um, and they essentially were playing with one arm behind their back, then I, I thought that the Rams, unless they gave up the big, the big play, um, then the Rams were going to be able to coast at that point. The other player that I want to call out with positive vibes, Chris Carson obviously had an up-and-down season when you consider the fumbles, but he hits 1,000 rushing yards for the second straight year. He's been extremely productive as a running back, getting a lot of yards. He's one of the best running backs in the league, get, picking up yards after contact. He runs the way that Pete Carroll wants his running backs to run, just that physical runner between the tackles. But he eclipses the 1,000-yard mark. 
He had over 70 rushing yards last night. Again, I thought the Seahawks were able to run the football just fine against that front line. The problem is when they ended up falling behind two or three scores, it really took them out of the offense that they wanted to run. And then they kind of got away from playing George Fant too. I think he only played 19 snaps last night. And that surprised me because that first drive, he was in quite a few plays and they marched right down the field. So I was a little surprised they didn't go back to that. They kind of got away from it and then the game snowballed on them. So uh, give kudos to Chris Carson, though. Another outstanding season getting to the 1,000-yard mark and he has three more games to try to pad his stats. Maybe he can get to the 1,200-1,250 mark with a couple big games here to close out the regular season. Well, I think he absolutely can. Uh, you know, I think that he is going to be the focal point of, of Seattle's offense, um, as well he should be. Um, you know, I'm very curious to see what C.J. Prosize and, and Travis Homer and perhaps another back um, yet to be determined can can come in and, and help him out. But uh, I think that the Seahawks have, have very little choice at this point. They have to ride Chris Carson um, if they're going to continue to be the, the run-first club that they have been. And, um, and as you mentioned, Corbett, I mean, the, the, Chris Carson played a, a terrific game, at least in my opinion. I mean, he averaged 5.1 yards per carry. Uh, you know, Todd Gurley made some nice runs. He only averaged 3.2 yards against the Seahawks. I think a lot of Seahawks fans right now would would have remembered last night differently and thought that Todd Gurley averaged a lot better. Seattle did a pretty nice job of, of shutting him down. The Rams never did shut Chris Carson down. The Seahawks shut Chris Carson down because they fell behind as quickly as they did, and then they took themselves out of their game plan. Um, again, when they can play their game, I think that this is as good of a team as there is in all the NFL. I think they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. When they are out of their game plan, I think this is the team that can get beat by one of the 10 worst teams in all of the NFL, which I think the Rams at times have shown that they can be that team. But they certainly were not when they played against the Seahawks Sunday night. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, you can contact me, LockedSeahawks at gmail.com. Subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by visiting us, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up tomorrow, it's Throwback Tuesday. We're going to go back to our usual programming. Since we don't have a shortened week this week, we'll look at some former Seahawks that also starred for the Panthers. I've already got a couple names popping into my head right now that'll be fun to talk about in our weekly history lesson. And, of course, we'll look at the defensive side of the football, really a tale of two games, really two halves, that were totally different performance last night in Los Angeles. Looking forward to talking and breaking down how the defense performed against the Rams. Hope you'll listen in. Go Hawks!